I am honored to be able to guest host the Public Power Underground this week. To start, I want to share a thought I had recently while on vacation in Lake Havasu, Arizona. If you haven't been, Lake Havasu is a pretty place this time of year, sunny, 80 degrees, and I had the opportunity to golf with some locals. And after talking about what a great day it was, I started thinking, what's it like in the summer? And so I asked them, what are the summer temperatures? And they said, oh, it ranges between 115 and 125. And I thought, oh, that's a problem. And so I said, oh, I imagine the place gets pretty dead that time of year. And they looked at me really funny. <laughs> they said, no, no, that's our busiest season. The lake is packed with people on all kinds of watercrafts. And one of the guys actually said his workday is adjusted so that they can get out on the lake in the early afternoon and tourists come from all over to enjoy the lake. And I was kind of humbled and embarrassed <laughs> that I misread the situation. And what I saw as a problem, hot weather, clearly others, the whole city and neighboring cities see as an opportunity. Yet it's still crazy hot in Lake Havasu in the summer, but they're turning their cold water into a great opportunity, which got me wondering, how often in our industry do we focus a lot on the challenges and the disruptions and the problems rather than how to turn them into opportunities? So we do have a lot of opportunities in our industry right now. We have so many renewables and uh, regulatory disfavor of thermal resources and increased weather volatility and complex markets and contracts and all of these things. And these disruptions absolutely have cost, adequacy and reliability risks. But my lake experience had me kind of want to ask, can we look for opportunities in all of this? Can we accept the changes? Because this really is the direction of the industry and figure out how to best position public power and BPA to not just adapt, but to really benefit from these changes. Are there opportunities in new and different contract structures, market structures that let BPA ex extract the highest value for their flexible and capacity rich asset? Are there new and different actions that utilities can take like localized storage or demand response that support their local community and enhance reliability? Many of us know the story of Kodak, the company that for decades owned the photo space but missed the, the digital transition and went bankrupt. I don't want Bonneville or Public Power with its amazing assets and advantages to miss this transition. So I'm pledging to look for opportunities in all of this, and I think we can find them. We started in hard times to bring us all in. Welcome to the Public Power Underground, Public Power's premier infotainment program that covers public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. I'm Therese Hampton, this week's guest host, who many people thought I retired, um, but I haven't retired. I am uh, traveling the country with my husband who has fully retired and I'm consulting in lots of different capacities. All right. Thanks, Teresa. I'm Jason Fordney, editor of California Energy Markets and this week's podcast ambassador from News Data. And Teresa, I'm Crystal Ball. You forgot the celebrity part of guest hosts in there. <laughs> I'm the deputy director of PNUC and an honorary member of the power department. And I'm the creative director of Public Power Underground, manager of Classic and IPUD's power department and producer for today's reporting, Paul Dockery. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Therese. 
Thanks, Paul. Celebrity, really, it was. You really needed it. And, and it was a great opening monologue. I think it was okay. intentional. My, it was intentional to uh, drop the celebrity. It's just good to be a guest host. I think the real celebrity here is this podcast that was created two years ago and continues to exist and thrive. You're really dodging the celebrity part. That was, I mean, I, I wrote it in there on purpose. It is a, it's a high honor that you should, you need to accept, but it's great. And I really like the concept of like making sure you're open to the opportunity that is coming. Um, I, we had, we talked to Jesse Jenkins. This is a, our, the, in the, in the intro section, I'm going to promote the bonus episode we had last week. Jesse Jenkins from Princeton University was on and he talked about electrification, how we're going to increase our market share by like 50%. Talk about opportunity. Let's not miss the opportunity, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And really rethink how we're going to serve all that load and what we're going to serve it with. And how, and how I worked on electrification issues actually 10 years ago, they were talking about vehicle to grid and how the vehicles can actually be your battery storage. It's, it just can, can grow and grow. It can be more than we even could imagine today. Yep. And we're going to talk about some more, some other good stuff. Let's, let's get into it. You ready, Therese? Sure. This let's is season four, episode nine. On today's recording, we discuss all sorts of energy news, including Blue Wolf Capital, Minimum pool elevation for power generation at Glen Canyon Dam, FERC's take on ROE, innovation at Douglas County PUD, a new president and CEO, and Aaron reports with Crystal Reporting, and a bunch of witty banner in between. We're going to do our best to keep it light, right, Therese? That's We're going right. to do our best. That's right. I know. I get, I get deep sometimes. Uh, before we get started, <laughs> Jason is going to read a quick word from our presenting sponsor. The presenting sponsor of Public Power Underground is the Energy Authority. The Energy Authority is a nonprofit energy portfolio management company owned by public power entities like us. TEA's mission is to help clients maximize the value of their assets and meet their power supply goals. TEA does this by providing expertise in energy trading, advanced analytics, renewable solutions, and a whole lot more. Over 60 public power utilities have partnered with TEA to tackle their energy future. So if you're looking for an energy authority to partner with in navigating the uncertain future of our industry, visit TEAINC.org to learn more. That's TEAINC.org. The energy authority, they're as underground as it gets. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. We're starting this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Reports with Crystal Reporting. Hey, Therese. This is Aaron Reports with Crystal Reporting, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators from March 28, 2022. I'm Crystal Ball, and I've got your market update for the week. Spring salmon have begun making their way up river. 60 adult spring Chinook were counted at Bonneville, bringing the year to date today to 231. October through September flows at the Dells for water year 2022 are currently forecasted to be 95% of normal and April to September is 94%. Outflow at the Dells peaked over the past week at 186 KCFS on March 25th. Day ending elevation at Grand Coulee yesterday was 1,252 and peak outflow this week was 167 KCFS on March 25th. 
Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery today is $38, with gas at $4.90 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $3.70 and a heat rate of $7,800. In term markets, mid-sea heavy load for April is at $43.50. April gas at Sumas is trading at $4.50, translating to a heat rate of $90. Nine of 9,600 BTU per kilowatt hour. August power at mid-sea is trading at $157.80 with Sumas gas at $5.61, translating to a heat rate of 28,000 BTU per kilowatt hour. Checking in on Ansergy's aggregated basin data on snow in the region, the snow water equivalent for BC hydro generation basin is 116% of normal. For mid-sea, 83%, and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River basin that'll flow through Bonneville Dam, they estimate there is 87% of normal snow blanket. Spending a beat on, at Bonneville's balancing authority, peak load this past week was 7,240 on March 25th at 7.15 a.m. During load's peak, hydro generation was at 11,700, wind gen was 13, conventional units were at 919, and nuclear was 1,152, all units in megawatts. And so for the December, January, February period sits at negative one, oceanic Nino index. The multivariant ENSO index for January, February is negative 0.97, and the SST consolidated Nino forecast indicates that La Nina conditions are likely to continue through spring 2022. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the six to 10 day outlook has temp above normal for the region. Precipitation is expected to be near normal. The 30 day and 90 day outlook indicates normal temperatures and normal precipitation for the region. Special thanks to Answer G for letting us use their dashboards and thanks to Ian for compiling this week's report. That's all we've got for this update. So I got some fish back in there. Did you notice that, Crystal? We, we did some fish counts at Bonneville. I did, and you dropped the ski report. I did. It feels like we're probably at the end of the ski season. Is that right? I'm not a skier, so I'm just, I'm just reading the cues. Well, I just got back from a week in Whistler. Oh, how was it? How was the snow? Snow was great. All kinds of conditions. Okay. All kinds of conditions. <laughs> and Jason, I, I was wondering, should I start doing some sort of snow report, like include some snow in California for an Aaron reports? Would you enjoy that? You're muted, just so you know. Yeah, that would be great. Um, that, it's not great. It doesn't fun. look like. Oh. If... If it's there's scary. snow to report. It's scary. It really is. Uh, yeah, it's, we had a strong start. And um, yeah, I live at about 5,000 feet. And our pond is already down pretty low. And it's, this is supposed to be kind of the peak time. So it's going to be a dry summer. Yeah, is there anything else on water from California that I should attempt to include in Aaron reports? Well, we have our, our drought fish? update. Is um, there fish? Um. We don't get into fish too much in CEM. Uh, you know, we have a fish newsletter that talks about that a little bit. Um, but we do a drought update each month, each week. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So that, that's go. good when Linda Daly Paulson's always on top of that. Okay. And uh, yeah, we try to keep it fresh. Um, but we end up repeating ourselves a lot this year. In other words, things are pretty dry. Yeah. 
Paul, Anything else on like U.S. energy? Sorry, I cut you off, but the, any interesting that we should include? This 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 uh, EIA thing that I show once a week, I should actually include it in the show notes at some point because it's really useful mm -hmm. on the whole uh, energy markets. Yeah, it's a lot of you know we have our price report, some of the same stuff, but uh, no, I find it informative, and uh, I'll try and think of anything that might be a good addition. Paul, I tried to um, catch uh, last week's uh, written version of Aaron reports before you replaced it with this week so that I could at least have some comparison and I missed it. Um, I should have been paying closer attention, but there are some comparisons from the week before that I think would be interesting, you know, just power trading, like how it changes week to week. Um, you know, we report it weekly, but it's hard to remember what was reported the week before. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do the changes and we should probably revert to doing some of the changes in power prices. That would probably super helpful. Um, I will, I will show you, I'll show you a neat little trick in the Google docs at some point on how you can go look at prior versions. Yeah. It's a tool that I've, uh, started to use because sometimes I forget how we had reported something in the past. I need that tip great skills we're all learning right keep learning trace we gotta keep and learning sharing. adapting you know are we ready are we ready all right next up is our weekly walkthrough public power and public power adjacent news in a segment we like to call public power desktop paul give us a typewriter i'm here for it and take it away jason okay blue start that again blue wolf capital is pursuing the restart of intelco aluminum smelter in ferndale washington the demand for aluminum and the corresponding price has increased significantly since alcoa curtailed and ultimately shuttered the plant in 2020 and the investment firm is reportedly looking to bpa to enter into a power supply arrangement to enable acquisition and reopening of the facility a guest editorial in the Seattle Times by the president of the Washington State Labor Council, Larry Brown, put the onus on BPA to make it work, stating that, quote, the only roadblock to restarting Intelco is the Bonneville Power Administration, unquote. Wow. The editorial assertion of Intelco's status as a existing direct service industrial customer of BPA was contested by a follow-up editorial published by the Seattle Times a week later, authored by Public Power Council's Scott Sims. You can find a comprehensive discussion of the status of this plant in the March 18th edition of Clearing Up, authored by Rick Adair. As always, links in the show notes. You can also go back to Clearing Up's coverage of Alcoa's termination of its contract with BPA and the shutting of the facility in case you want to know more about the facility's history. Well, here's a, a good um, resource, I think, for uh, clearing up um, just that historical context of uh, the, the record. Um, so, you know, this is uh, not a new issue, uh, something that oh, we have talked about in this region uh, for decades. Um, the uh, direct service industries uh, were uh, a big economic driver for our region, um, and the contracts with Bonneville uh, were very um, economical for those industries. Uh, but as Scott Sims uh, pointed out in his um, letter, 
there was a closure of these plants and uh, the contract came to an end. Um, so it's, it's a good record that we have in clearing up about what's happened and I'm glad that we have that clearing up resource. Good to hear and not an insignificant amount of load from a smelter, right? It's some pretty big megawatts. It really is. It's a good sized load. I, I thought the thing that was so striking to me is it's it's always so easy to make Bonneville the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it was so easy. <laughs> and it, every two hard. years I make Bonneville the problem when we do our rate hearings. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, it's Bonneville, you know, so easy to make them the problem. But the law and the contracts got in the way this time, right? Yeah. The, the, and, and really it was, they provided notice, a termination of the contract, right? Um, the, the plant noticed and terminated their direct service. Um, I do, I do think there's a lot to learn here and think about as it relates to, uh, the need for like industrial, like demand for industrial loads, right. Or, or industrial demand loads coming for economic development purposes. And we need to, you know, come up with tools and mechanisms to be able to serve them as a region. Uh, we used to rely on Bonneville to do a lot of that stuff, but, you know, in the next contract and in the future, we need to think about ways to competitively serve good loads in the region. And I do think even though Bonneville may not be where you go do it, we do have the underlying tools as a power supply re power supply in the region we have these underlying tools that we can do it cost effectively and cost competitively we have the existing resources while you can't contract directly with them they do provide a lot of really valuable services since they exist and uh, we do have you know renewable resources that we can tap and develop within the region so i think we're well situated to provide firm service it's just gotta come up be adaptive innovative right Therese we got to learn to innovate a little bit and think about the opportunities back in 2001 they were the interruptible load right during the power yeah. crisis and as we were managing through that and so there's still some interruptibility I, I I agree with you Paul we need to find a way to to get these industrial jobs right and and to create the opportunity for industry and maybe there's some opportunity in terms of their interruptibility and the services they can provide to the system. Yeah, because as we have talked about and thought about um, what it's going to take to do the energy transition, one of the things is the demand side. We need to come up with tools for the demand side to be part of the solution that you have. If you have variable fuel saving resources, as Jesse framed, wind and solar, you have on the demand side, so maybe some flexibility that can you can provide them value for the valuable services they deliver. What do you think of that, Therese? What do you think that crystal is good? Yeah. That, that, that a good pitch? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think we're ready for the typewriter. And Crystal's got the next story. All right. Drought conditions continued to intensify in California with record dry conditions triggering a reduction in state water allocations. The entire West is experiencing drought conditions as well. Of the 43 facilities in the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation operates in the Western U.S. and tracks on their website, six had the lowest observed storage levels in the past 30 years of data collection as of March 13 or 14, according to reporting by Lindsay Daly Paulson in the March 18th edition of California. California energy markets. There are broad implications of the drought, including risk to hydro generation projects. 
Lindsay Daly Paulson's article has an infographic provided by the Bureau that highlights just how close the Glen Canyon Dam on Lake Powell is to its minimum pool elevation for power generation, 35 feet to be precise. Glen Canyon Dam has 1,320 megawatts installed capacity and produces roughly 456 average megawatts. A similar phenomenon was reported at the Hoover Dam by the Associated Press in October of 2021. And you may recall that Edward Hyatt Hydropower Plant in Lake Oroville in California was temporarily shut down in August of 2021 because of low water levels. To learn more, we'll include a link to Lindsay Daly Paulson's article in the show notes. Great, thank uh, you. Just interject quickly here, Jason. I did, I went and found this reserve reservoir storage dashboard. It's cool. great. Uh, yeah, and I'll include that in the show notes too. Great. I'm glad you, you pointed it out. Yeah, if you could send a link to that, I'd appreciate it. Um, it's Lin Linda Daly Paulson. Yeah, it's covering trout each week for us, doing a great job. Um, don't see this problem going away anytime soon. We had such a strong start to the water season in January. Really thought it was going to be a game changer. Uh, you know, we got about five feet of snow where I live. Uh, but since then, I mean, I think it was the dry, well, I know it was the driest January and February on record in California. And, you know, big questions for hydro output. It's a, it's going to be a dry, a dry summer, as I said before. Yeah. Well, this article focused a lot on California. Um, I just want to plug um, the upcoming April 8th PNOC board meeting. We're going to have a uh, NOAA Northwest River Forecast Center on to provide uh, the latest water supply forecast for the Northwest. Um, and I did talk to the hydrologist uh, today in preparation for that meeting, uh, Henry Pye, and he did say drier in the south and just hanging on in the north. Uh, so a lot of concern um, about uh, the trending conditions in the south um, in you know, California, but as well as uh, the Northwest, Oregon, Idaho, Snake River Basin um, is, it's really rough in the Snake River Basin. Are you, will you be streaming that meeting? <laughs> I know your editor, Mark Hornshaw, always calls in. Oh, okay. All right. Well, good. It sounded something like, like something we could cover or sh shed some light on. Yeah. You will, because okay. we'll get the same update that um, the Northwest River Forecast Center provides on uh, monthly, uh, okay. just uh, with a, a little bit of perspective from our PNUC board members, including Suzanne Cooper at the Bonneville Power Administration. All right. It's Eastern Oregon is on, on the drought monitor, U.S. drought monitor, which uh, I, I can also include links in the show notes. Uh, Eastern Oregon is in the exceptional drought category. Um, it is as bad as some parts of Nevada. Um, it's it's uh, the region's drought conditions are prolonged and severe. What um, Henry Pye um, told me today was a, a term called the two-year mark. I asked him a little bit about that, and he said it's um, carryover from uh, last year. So when you have like a consistent two-year drought, it really makes people worried about the ability to refill reservoirs because you, um, you, you don't, there's no catch-up. So two-year mark, very concerning. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, any take this, on the... Oh, go ahead, Tracy. I was going to ask you. I was just going to say, this story question. hits me in a whole different way now because I'm living now in southern Utah. Uh, they actually get power from Glen Canyon Dam. We were at Lake Powell in October. Um, and so I did, uh, you know, they talk about this a lot on the news and they talk a lot about the history. The Colorado River has been below average since 2000. Um, and they've been low before, they've rebounded, but never quite back to full, which just kind of goes to this. Um, we are in a different space now. Risk profiles, almost of every resource and every load look different. And we gotta, we gotta prepare for that. We gotta, we gotta figure out how to plan for a different future and his, history may not always be our best predictor. Another opportunity though. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Paul, give me the typewriter and you've got the next prompt. In a March 17th decision, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission rejected Pacific Gas and Electric's requested 13.3% return on equity. Instead, FERC lowered the base ROE to 9.3%. For context, Utility Dive's coverage of the decision notes that in a prior financial report, American Electric Power translated up 0.5% reduction in awarded ROE. Uh, they translated that to a reduction in annual pre-tax income of $55 million to $70 million. State regulators may take the FERC decision as a cue to rethink their own methodology for determining returns on investment. Ethan Howland's reporting in Utility Dive does an outstanding job of highlighting the benefits of the reduction to consumers and spotlighting the changing trend of decisions at FERC to take quote, hard, take a harder look at return on equity issues in favor of the consumer. For more, uh, including a link to the Utility Dive article on the decision uh, is included in the show notes. And I think Jason, you have included some commentary on this in the, uh, which, which section of California Energy Markets? Because it wasn't its own article, I don't think. It's in our Potomac section. In your Potomac By Jim DePeso, yeah. Okay. Because of the DC connection there. Right, yeah. And because, yeah, he was the only one I had to rate it last week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I focused on the, the other decision that we discussed that I think we're going to get into in a few minutes. Yeah. On ROE. But you sent me this article, uh, Crystal. What are your thoughts on it? All, all I hear is uh, we got to build transmission. Um, and I think FERC feels the same way. So I think this is an interesting decision about how you um, encourage uh um, utilities to build transmission and also, you know, um, think about the consumer on this end. Um, I know FERC has the um, joint state task force, and I think there are plans to do something in the Northwest. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, how we uh, look at the opportunity here uh, to incentivize uh, utilities to build transmission, but also protect the consumer. I'm sure the argument is lowering it is not going to incent new transmission, but uh, I, I didn't look through this particular proceeding. Um, so I'm not sure how often FERC, I, I assume quite often they go for a lower number that's requested just like in utility rate cases. Um, yeah, what are you, where are your, where's your head on, on this, Therese? I thought the article was interesting and especially it's framing. Um, where, where are you at? Yeah, I was having the same reaction that Crystal had, really, which is that everything you hear is that there is this transmission constraint and we need to create the right incentives to build. Um, so I, I just I don't really have a sense for how it's all going to balance out, but um, but 
hopefully utility investments and utility transmission investments are still still uh, top of the list for folks and, and that this won't discourage and it really is just finding the right balance. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll provide the the opposite view or at least a different perspective on um, on lowering the ROE because really your ROE is intended to uh, compensate for risk and you can there there's different types of risk for transmission right and a lot of it is actually regulatory and one of the things FERC is certainly trying to do is decrease the regulatory burden right that's what you kind of spoke to Crystal on their procedures to try to make it the the permitting framework a little bit easier and stuff like that so as long as it's coupled with some you know uh, correlating reduction in risk on build or, uh, and maybe some streamlined access to right-of-ways and stuff like that. I think that could not disincentivize. I did think the article actually was really interesting in their framing around the consume, the risk of the consumer price, uh, like, uh, uh, what's the right word inelasticity or that, you, you know, if you're passing these type of high ROEs on to your consumer, that that could can cause blowback on more transmission investment, um, which I thought was a really interesting framing because uh, I kind of started where y'all are too. What do you think of that kind of framing that, Hey, if you can reduce your risk, but using some other mechanisms like reduced regulatory framework, and then you also help not, uh, get this blowback from consumers, maybe you actually are helping uh, get transmission. I think, I think FERC found average risk for PG&E. And &E. and, yeah. uh, I recall Commissioner Danley, I don't know if he descended in this, but he did said, he said, you know, how can, how can you consider it average risk in PG&E territory? Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I also wonder about, you know, you talk about public pushback there's always a question of building these lines is really difficult especially anywhere in wildfire country seems to be less controversial in the desert but that's when i see like kaiso's recent three billion dollar transmission plans first thing i think is you know building these lines is, is tough really tough yeah so it's, it's not always financials well and i think of the three challenges sorry trace maybe there's opportunity here um but <laughs> of building transmission and that's cost and then that's the permitting. Uh, the second would be the permitting process. And then the third, um, people don't want it in their backyard. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, what's, you know, what is FERC gonna be able to do on those three things? Um, cost, regulatory, and uh, not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be interesting to have, you know, somebody from the state, uh, Paul, and, and their perspective. Um, I just think of, you know, Boardman to Hemingway um, and how long, uh, that has been, you know, thought about um, by uh, you know, Bonneville, um, Pacificor, and Idaho Power, and the permitting um, challenges uh, for that uh, large high voltage um, or long distance high voltage transmission line. Um, and it sometimes doesn't feel like we're any closer to getting that constructed than um, we have been before. Um, and it's, uh, I think there's a, a real need uh, for that transmission capacity in our region. Um, I think there are a lot of people who agree with me. Um, and yet, you know, we just can't uh, get steel in the ground. Yeah, I always love a good numbered list. <laughs> and it's okay to have problems. We just need to look at them and see if we can create opportunities. Yeah. And Paul, I really like your connection. Like, 
if if this uh, reduction ROE is coupled with making permitting easier, but they're almost they're in two separate tracks. And could you could you really affect one with the other, or are you just going to take the hit and maybe not get the regulatory expediency that you might hope for? This is always the the challenge in those spaces. Yeah, and it's also the challenge of like they're they're just separate dockets, right? Like you, this is the docket I deal with this, and I'm trying to make maybe I mean you do hope that these people are good intentioned and thinking through strategically, and but you got to do it in different dockets, and who knows how successful your overall strategy is going to be, right? Right, and the permitting is different state agencies. I mean, if you think about the OPUC looking at um, rates, and then the um, oh gosh, I just lost the uh, the commission that looks at the citing, um, there's an acronym for it. And I, I can't call it. Thank you. FSEC. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a bad word, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to many, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, FERC has long talked about the opportunity to make this more like assert their jurisdiction for transmission right-of-ways that are cross-state transmissions right yeah. and that and that's that's a tool that's a tool that may not be that uh popular but right i don't right. know no, and, and doe uh us doe we heard a little bit from um michelle maneri uh just talking about those national corridors that would do yeah. you know just that yeah but kind of at a, a last resort uh yeah, you, don't want to we've had the levers you don't want to pull until you really got to pull them go ahead yeah. jason so i keep cutting you off jason i'm really that's a, that's okay today um, yeah, we had those national interest transmission corridors. I remember a good 10 years ago, big process. As soon as it hit the public hearing phase, they shut it down. <laughs> I mean, it's tough for the states. People really don't like the federal government building these things or site, making the decision to cite them. So it's a, that's a really thorny, thorny one to get around because without more transmission, it's going to be tough to integrate all these renewables. We hear, hear a lot about that. So. Absolutely. I love a beautiful transmission line. <laughs> I love a beautiful substation. It's one of the things that I, I will drive by a substation and and I'll be telling Ashley, my wife, about it, and she'll just be like, Paul, you need you to love it pay too? attention to the road. <laughs> we, we've all done that one, yeah. Pointing out to family members. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Love best part of a road trip <laughs> i also love some good underground too yeah. you see underground. Yeah. okay paul i think we're ready for the typewriter and crystal's got the next story all right douglas county pud broke ground on a five megawatt pilot renewable hydrogen production facility near Baker Flats, East Wenatchee, a year ago on March 8, 2021. The facility is expected to start producing green hydrogen by the end of 2022. A year later, and there is hope that it'll evolve to more than a single pilot project. Emily Thornton from the Wenatchee World reports that Douglas County PUD is acquiring 409 acres near their Baker Flats hydrogen facility and Wells Dam project which according to PUD spokesperson is in case the PUD wants to build on it later. For more on the land acquisition, we'll link to Emily's article in the show notes. Make sure you're also subscribed to Joel Meyer's Energy News Digest as well. I love this story. Just gonna say this. Now, while this is just 
the acquisition of land. The hydrogen story at Douglas County is a great story of finding opportunity in this changing landscape. And I don't know how well everybody knows Douglas, but Douglas has never been known <laughs> as a risk-taking utility. And yet they, they stepped out in front on hydrogen, like way out in front on hydrogen. And it just may be a big win for the region, for all the other hydro producers. And I heard Douglas give a presentation a while back where they said they, they started down this path because they wanted to manage the variability of their hydro production. They had a problem on their system, right? And they were trying to find some creative ways of addressing it. Actually, and and different ways than everybody else, right? Who would, you know, structure market deals and things like that. Um, so I, I just think what they've done here could have great reliability and economic benefit to the region. So hats off to them for seizing the opportunity and you know, that they do and produce even more. These are things that we were just talking about transmission constraint, right? It is the demand side. It is these biofuels and these other things that, that may just be the solution um, when we can't kind of uh, move towards what have been some traditional solutions. I didn't know much about this pilot project until I got the assignment to read this story. So I looked into it a little. I love, And this is one of the reasons why I love being a co-host of Public Power <laughs> Underground. I learned so much when Paul and asked When you did your research, you realized that they presented at PNUC uh, a couple of years ago. That's probably where you <laughs> a saw it. A couple years Therese, ago, well before me. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, tenure, you, Paul. <laughs> you, were, you were going somewhere with it. But yeah, I saw it. It was uh, Gary Ivory presented at PNUC and that's where I saw this. Uh, oh, for the see? first time. Yes, go, go. You learned something. You were researching. Go, <laughs> go Crystal. I cut you off. Well, I think it's time to uh, for Peanut to have Douglas back. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, but there are two videos on um, Douglas's website that um, short little clips, you got it, um, that talk about this project. And um, did you know they're going to produce two tons of green hydrogen a day mm -hmm. by using um, you know, power from Wells Dam. And that's green, green hydrogen. I, I just thought it was so cool. They anticipate um, piloting hydrogen cars in its own fleet. And uh, they also um, think about opportunity to uh, fuel stations uh, in the state and to sell it to industrial gas users. Uh, great opportunity. Um, glad you made that connection, Therese. Uh, this is a, um, an interesting way to look at a problem. Yeah, and they really did champion this because they were the ones at the state legislature getting authorization to do stuff like this, right, Therese? They were part of, they, I think in here it's Senate bill, the 2019 authorization, they were mm -hmm. trying to get the state to uh, to enable this so that PUDs could actually do this type of work. And a, and a unanimous vote out of the, I think out of the Senate or somewhere within the state legislature, it was one of those things like, what gets a unanimous vote out of the legislature? So it was it's pretty remarkable. And it's a progressive idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And cool. we talked, uh, Matt and I talked to Chris Craker from Northwest Natural last week. It'll be in the bonus episode coming up. 
And, you know, we talked a little bit about industrial uses of hydrogen, you know, where you can't convert industrial process to uh, be a, a electric, uh, an electric source for that production. You, hydrogen is a easier substitute for some of these industrial processes. It's a really important part of, you know, for, for the region's economic development for in, in industrial loads in the region that they want to locate here. It all you ties know? together. It all, all ties, ties together. together. <laughs> it's like these episodes are intentionally linked. And I don't know. I assure you, there is really no intentionality around the links to, between the articles. It's like me getting a text from Crystal and Therese and like trying to like uh, figure it out on a Thursday afternoon. But. That's the connection to your network. That's, yeah, that's right. right. I'll say one other thing about this, which is uh, when the Washington State did their energy strategy um, and in some of the different modeling work that uh, we did when I was at PGP and, and engagement with others, these hydrogen and the biofuels are how we manage all the oversupply, at least by, in the modeling sets. It's how you manage all the oversupply that comes when you're building out the renewables to meet the policy goals. So it does have the potential to really be a pretty, pretty uh, significant shift in how we think about energy and energy oversupply. Yeah, absolutely. Really useful for the balancing side of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's hit the typewriter and move on. Okay, on Thursday, March 24th, the Western Power Pool announced the selection of Sarah Edmonds as president and CEO. According to the Western Power Pool's press release, Edmonds was selected by the WPP board after a multi-month search for an experienced energy industry professional with demonstrated knowledge of the increasingly complex regional and inter-regional grid issues faced by the Western U.S., and Western Canada. Sarah, Sarah joins the Western Power Pool after serving as a Director of Transmission and Reliability Services at Portland General Electric, Oregon's largest electric utility and a Northwest Power Pool member. This is really great news. This is just a really good selection. Oh, yes, I agree, I agree. <laughs> The Power Pool has a really strong history in the West, and they have been growing into the needs of today in the last couple of years. And to have Sarah, she's such an exceptional leader. She listens well, and she finds winning solutions. And she's we've watched her over the last couple of years in the role that she's served in the uh, Western Power Pool process, listening to public power, understanding what's important to public power and kind of finding the solutions with the investor-owned regulatory kind of environment as well. And they really are building a terrific team at the power pool. So this is this is good news for us. I think this is really great news. This is exciting. I think Sarah has the two C's. There you go. Uh, she is collaborative and curious. Ah, nice. That's I like that. Well, I so like good. that. So good. Yeah. So how well do you know Sarah, Patrice, or Crystal? Because I, I feel like Rebecca came on, Rebecca Sexton, also from the Power Pool, was one of the first celebrity guest hosts. I think she was the third. Do you think maybe we can get Sarah on as a celebrity guest host at some yes. point? Yes. Oh, awesome. sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I got it we'll, in. I've got yeah, it in. We'll use that network. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that there were many people quoted in the WPP's um, press release uh, saying wonderful things about Sarah. Um, you know, representing all kinds of perspectives. I think she will continue um, the tone that Frank Frangi has set um, as being, you know, a collaborative uh, uh, entity. 
Um, and I think that's what we are really going to need as uh, the region comes together and works through these um, uh, resource adequacy um, issues and uh, looks for new opportunities. Absolutely. Right. Well, congratulations, Sarah. We're looking forward. Clearly, Paul's looking forward to having you on. Um, and we're looking forward to working together with you. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll close out the episode with a quick rundown of news stories we didn't get to in our TLDR segment we're calling Energy West Light. Northwest, Pub Northwest Public Power Association believes in public power. For 82 years, Northwest Public Power Association has supported public power utilities and other associates, other associates in the greater Pacific Northwest by offering education, training, communications, government relations, and services like RFP and job postings. In addition to public power, what else is important to NWPPA? Local control, member needs, integrity, and quality products and services. Today, NWPPA proudly serves 155 member utilities and more than 325 utility industri industry associate members. You know, I do this every time and I could just record this and use the same one. Um, mm -hmm. And then I probably would be able to record it without a bunch of uh, mess ups in my reading. But what fun would that be? Uh, learn more or register for a class at nwppa.org. That's NWPPA. Org. Believe in public power. Great. Next up, we are TLDRing, new verb, uh, our way through the news in a segment we're calling Energy West Light. You know what else I need? I need um, I need some like uh, intro music uh, for Energy West Light. I have some for Aaron Reports. We got the typewriter for the public power desktop. You know what I need, Jason? Since we're going to do this Energy West Light, I need some of your Energy West, uh, your intro for that. And maybe we can get the voice. I don't know who you use as a voice for the introduction on Energy West, but it is outstanding. It sounds so professional. Yeah, I like it. Um, that's my drumming on the beginning of it. So a little plug there. Oh, <laughs> yes. So you can just sample it for me and I can use it for Energy West Light. Okay. Yep. You get, I get you in? Okay. I'm yeah, the ready. voice comes from Pioneer. Um, they really jazzed up our intro. Um, so yeah, they do a great job. Super, super and jazz. we're doing okay, this. This is also a promo promo for Energy West, who has a right. weekly podcast that does the same thing we do, only you get it every week and it's way shorter. So mm -hmm. think about it. Okay. This is Energy West Light, a segment where we TLDR our way through the news. I'm Paul Dockery. And I'm Therese Hampton. And we're lightning energy west. There we go. We might need a little work on that. <laughs> In fish news, a draft white paper presented to the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission concludes that impacts of non-tribal recreational fishing in the Columbia River's cold water refuges are so small that closing those areas to fishing would do little to help threaten steelhead populations. Next up, we have a news story about millions of data points that could provide a clearer picture of how juvenile Chinook behave at Columbia River dams and how well they survive through the different downstream passage routes are being offered by the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory for use in other studies. So the millions of data points are being offered by Pacific Northwest National Labs. Um, in addition to the data set, PNNL is also releasing the source code for uh, using the data in its hydropower biological evaluation tool set or HBET, which generate more than 4,000 positions of the fish in three dimensions. 
Thanks, Paul. Despite, in a new story, in a different story, despite Washington's increasingly stringent energy efficiency requirements for new buildings, builders complied with commercial building energy codes at very high rates, according to a new study from the Northwest Energy Efficiency Alliance. Researchers found high code compliance among the new construction, about 85% across the state. But the study is not a code compliance report. Its main goal was to see if current EE practices were being effectively implemented. Yeah, really hopeful. Like new stock that's really energy efficient is super helpful. So it's really good. Next up, California's grid operator has begun the weighty task of compiling input from the 11 weeks of stakeholder meetings as it works through its initial proposal for an extended day ahead energy market across the West. The California independent system operator is wrapping up the working group stage of the EDAM process, extended day ahead market EDAM, and will issue a straw proposal in late April for bringing the day ahead market across the footprint of the Western energy imbalance market. Interesting. And shortly after that, government. And then I read your article. I read your, yeah, I messed it up again. Last (laughs) week, I messed up the sequencing. Again, this week, I messed up the sequencing. Uh, And I just took it. I was like, it's my turn. I'm going, even though it has Teresa's name. So now, Teresa, you're going to read all the Paul ones, and I'll read the Teresa. We'll see how it goes. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. (laughs) A federal appeals court decision this week upheld the award of a federal incentive for ISO participation to California utilities, rebuffing the California Public Utility Commission and its argument that participation by utilities in the California independent system operator is mandatory, not voluntary. If membership in the ISO is mandatory, an incentive is not needed, the CPUC argued. But the US Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on March 17th ruled against the CPUC and other state agencies which had challenged a Federal Energy Regulatory Commission order on remand that found that participation in the California ISO is voluntary and therefore the incentives are warranted. Very good job reading that. Uh, I practiced that one, but you couldn't have because it was assigned to me. Youth activists on March 15th filed suit against the state of Utah, naming uh, Governor Spencer Cox and several state agencies for maximizing, promoting, and systematically authorizing fossil fuel development as a matter of official state policy. The youths in Natalie R. versus State of Utah assert that state law and energy policy actively causes and contributes to the global climate crisis and negatively affects Utah's air quality, causing direct and disproportionate harm to young people and violating their state constitutional rights to life, health, and safety. That one hits a little close to home. From the Potomac, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission on March 24th reverted two controversial natural gas policy statements to draft status after they drew fire from industry groups and lawmakers who said they would hinder development of interstate gas pipelines and liquefied natural gas terminals. And lastly, the uh, Western Market Exploratory Group, WMAG, WMAG, is that what we went with? Is it WMAG or are we going with WMAG? Oh, okay. WMAG, WMAG, that's what we're going to go with. WMAG has hired Utilicast, an energy consulting firm, to evaluate regional market structures across the West. The group of 11, 14 Western utilities announced on March 23rd. Great. I changed and the names. I changed the names live. I changed the names in the script. Did you notice that, Trace? That's very good of me. Thanks live. to Public Power Underground's production partners at News Data for letting us use their leads. And thanks to Ian for compiling them. Now, back to the crew to close out the episode. Wait, that's me. Or is it me? But- yeah, no, we got to do our, we got to, we, we're reading out together, all together, Paul and Therese together. Ready? 
That's Energy West Light. It was perfect. No notes. No notes. That was perfect. Any uh, Anything you like in that? You want to talk about, Jason? Anything you got in there you wanted to pull out? Yeah, lots of interesting stuff this week. You know, the EDAM was something that uh, Kaiser kind of jump-started again uh, last year. It's a really intensive effort. And as the article talks about a little bit, it's really tied into a lot of other initiatives that are going on. It's really a moving target and a fast timeline. I think the straw proposal is supposed to be out next month. Um, yeah, and the ROE, you know, the ROE adder for RTO ISO participation has been, I've been writing about it for years, the controversy around it. It, it actually flows from Energy Policy Act of 2005 which was uh, you know, a very industry-friendly legislation, pretty much engineered by Dick Cheney. So it's a little bit of a vestige of that, but uh, as we were saying before, to get more transmission built, it's seen as uh, you know, a, a good tool for that. And what I pointed out in the article is this appeals court decision basically struck down the CPUC's requirement that utilities have to get permission from the PUC to leave Kaiso, which I found interesting. Uh, the court just said it's not supported in California law. You know, I don't see any utilities leaving Kaiso, but that's kind of a consequence of this ruling. And the, R the ROE adder for the moment is safe and sound at FERC. Interesting. Anything in there, Therese, you wanted to dig a little bit deeper in? I thought uh, I had some curious things out of that WMEG article. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know that I have a lot on that, except for it'll be very interesting to see what those utilities come up with. Right, they've got Utilicast. They've got a good facilitator uh, to organize them and things that they might hope to accomplish. And uh, it's just as interesting where they go with it. What did you see in it? You know, I wasn't sure if I knew that the WMEG added a couple members since they were first announced. Um, and I kind of noticed that in here. I think who who was it? Public Service of Company of New Mexico uh, came on in January of 2021. Did I get that right? And then LADWP. Uh, mm -hmm. I, that was that was after the announcement that I remember. And I I I think I follow the news fairly closely, and I missed it. And mm -hmm. Crystal didn't text me, and then I just missed it completely. <laughs> <laughs> Did, was that did you all do y'all know that or, or was that news to you too that's news to me i thought it was a okay. dozen so with those two yeah. adders yeah 14 yeah. and um, i'm right i found it now it's pacific company of new mexico and ladwp both joined after it was yeah. in october the only california member being ladwp which is interesting if you look at the quote here from their spokesperson it says the newly formed group could help shape the markets for a greater westwide benefit perhaps sooner rather than later that's probably their motivation for getting in um you know other proposals that we see for a western market are a lot bigger lift so yeah some um some interesting stuff from that and somewhat related to these but not in the stories but just in the world that i uh operate in, <laughs> um, the, the governance conversation associated with the ETAM market design will shortly follow um, once that market design proposal comes out, I think the end of April, then the governance conversations that might pair with it 
we'll go with it. And governance is always, you know, the big issue in uh, no matter what path you're going to walk down, right? Whether whether WMEG can kind of move something, whether it's SVP, whether it's CAISO, governance is always an important aspect of it. Yeah, there was quite yeah. a bit of discussion of governance in the working group last Friday, which I know you participated in, or it was two Fridays ago on the EDAM. Mm -hmm. So another moving piece to that whole equation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd be interested in talking with you more about it, uh, the governance issue, how it fits into the wider Western market, what you're seeing, what the discussion is. Yeah, everybody wants great. to talk to Therese about governance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, were, uh, you were trying to come in, Crystal, a couple of times. Did, did you have another topic you wanted to, to talk about a little bit? I, I'm really glad that Therese made that connection back uh, to uh, the EDAM and governance. Uh, that's uh, one of the places where I was trying, trying to come in, um, but also on the um, uh, Western or WMEG uh, Utilicast. Um, it, they're very experienced. Um, they've done a lot of this work before. They've got a great template. Um, and so, you know, like Tree said, interesting to see what the utilities do with it, but they will, I think, create um, you know, a roadmap, um, uh, do some comparison, and I think really kind of live up to that um, work group's name as far as exploratory. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what comes out of that and how the um, utilities share it. Yes, me too. They can crystallize conversations, right? There's a force there that can really uh, allow the region to hone in on certain aspects of market development. Yeah, it, it's good to see. Yeah. I did notice the PNM guy said, you know, one of the things that attracted them was a participatory governance structure, which is more like a multi-state, like SPP or MISO, as compared with the single state CAISO, which has a board appointed by the state's governor. It's always a stumbling block to the regionalization. Yes. Um, this week, uh, by the time this airs, we will have uh, already had, um, there's a general session meeting of the Governance Review Committee where we're going to go over the comments that we received. The uh, Governance Review Committee for CAISO for EDAM um, asked folks, what should be in scope in this governance review? And there's a very consistent theme, consistent with what, Jason, you just mentioned, that there is a recognition that there's a uh, uh, limitation uh, of, of where the GRC can go, but some very clear and consistent interest by participants of what they would want to see in the long term, which is, you know, which is uh, a governance structure that is um, free from uh, appointment by uh, a single state. Sure. Yeah, I, cool. I think even though like it's going to happen, like I think we could still call that breaking news. So we're just going to go with, hey, you get over here. The Dan Catchpole uh, breaking news. Thing. <laughs> I still haven't gotten the teletype. Nobody sent me the teletype soundbite. So I can't back it with the teletype. I just have a typewriter. But there's like the it's not even the teletypes the wrong word. There's like the beep, 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 beep from the. Yeah, the AP Morse machine. code. Yeah, SOS Morse code. No. Yeah. Uh, there's like an AP machine, right, Jason? Oh, you, do you have right. one at California an Energy Market? A little what's bit the, before my time, Paul. <laughs> hey, you get over here. Oh, that's not before your time, though. You got. I'm more of a fax guy. You still do that, don't you? You're like, hey, reporter, get over here. Anyway, thank you, Therese. And you were once the chair of the Governance Review Committee? I am still, still the chair still of the, the Governance Review, Review Committee. Committee. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank committed, you. committed to continuing to represent the interests of public power, right? So this here I am on Public Power Underground saying, send me your cards and letters, right? I am I am here to represent you. Thanks and when for we representing. Get some public power merch, are you gonna wear your public power merch? Oh, uh, well, if I could get some public power merch, right, Paul? Tell so me close. That. Me too. So close. I have all I have examples of public power merch that I've been buying to make sure it's good quality merch. You know, we need good quality right. merch. Yeah. Um, there will be there will be sweatshirt. I'm very excited about all the merch. We're so close. We're so close. That's terrific. It looks great. It looks great. And I think we'd all love to have it. And I'll wear it to every GRC uh, meeting just so they know. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's saying we got to buy it, though. Yes, <laughs> no one's getting it for free, except for Frank and Cropera, my, uh, the Dean of the College of Engineering, who got me into the renewable industry. Oh. Frank, if you're out there listening, I'll give you free merch. I'll give you free merch. <laughs> He's the only one, though. The rest of you got to pay for it. A little jealous. Okay. But wait, don't these guest hosts and co-hosts wait that's what i've been saying I, I don't nope. know I nope. think... you're just free labor as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i don't know with celebrity status it sounds like trace is an influencer yeah i mean she would normally get a swag bag if this were a commercial endeavor but as i was reminded on energy twitter uh this is not a commercial endeavor uh so you, you're just gonna have to pay for it and the, the proceeds go to share the warmth our uh in low-income uh, uh support fund for Klatskin oh, nice. IPUD. Like nice. I give Klatskin IPUD some love here this is beyond the pale of what's normally involved in being a power manager for an electric utility That's right. <laughs> yes and we well, thank you Paul. send us yeah tell us where to send the check yeah that's right uh, hopefully it's all going to be seamless transaction you know, i won't have to touch money i don't want to touch okay typewriter i feel like maybe there's just a typewriter okay that's all the news we're covering this week the next regularly scheduled episode will be recorded April 11th and published April 14th. The episode will feature a celebrity guest host from our presenting sponsor, the Energy Authority. To make sure you don't miss it or bonus episodes in the meantime, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Super easy, right, Crystal? It's very unintrusive. You never feel intrigued by a public power anymore. You just ignore it if you don't want to read it. It's fine. Therese, do you feel valued? It is for energy enthusiasts. You're exactly right. Therese, do you feel valued and appreciated? I do. Yes. I I enjoyed this so much. It's been great to have you on and to include your insights, your celebrity status. So thank you very much. Crystal, did you enjoy it? This was always fun. Thank you for including me. Yep. Jason, did you have fun? It was great. Yeah. Good. Well, as always, send any news, questions, opinions, corrections, or complaints to Paul on Twitter at a power manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, you can send any of us a note. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data's weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. And that's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. See how fast I can do it, just for fun.
Public Power Underground is a production of Cloud Sky PUD and News Data. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Cloud Sky PUD News Data or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. It's written and directed by Cloud Sky PUD's power department, led by me, Paul Dockery, and it's edited and published by the stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources, led by associate producer Sarah Wooden. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Gillery and Ian Bledsoe. And special thanks to our celebrity guest host, Therese Hampton. Thank you so much for participating in this week's episode. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, very valuable and appreciated.